Hey everybody, welcome to Crackpot, the podcast where each and every week we dive into a different conspiracy theory and discuss the merits or demerits of each. We're your hosts, I'm Tim. And I'm Zach. Zach. Tim. We've been talking about this one for years now. At least 10, maybe 15 years. <laughs> no, I mean, since, since, since the show started, since its inception, I think this might actually be what inspired us to kick this all off oh i mean yeah considering this is our 1000th show tonight it only (laughs) felt appropriate to do this topic right yeah but i mean as we've gone through we've done uh shows about abductions and ufo sightings and weird goings-ons and things like that foo fighters and stuff in world war ii we've always referenced these New York Times articles, but we've never actually sat down on the show and discussed them. So I think this is a good opportunity to dive in because there is some crazy, crazy stuff. And I even realized myself, I don't know if you did too, um, although I read them when they came out, like I had forgotten just the enormity and severity, I guess, of like what these are actually talking about and like what is in the public domain now. So when I read them the first time, you know, kind of as they were coming out, I also didn't pay a lot of attention to really what they were saying. Like, yes, yes. I took away a very like surface level, you know, uh, value of what the context of the article was. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's weird. But now going back, going through all of these carefully and really thinking about what they're saying, I'm like, oh, okay, this is uh, this is real. (laughs) Using your law school education to be like, well, it sounds like they're saying this, but actually they're parsing words and they're not actually admitting that. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's some fascinating stuff. 100%. So where should we dive in? Should we talk first about the actual articles themselves? Well, yeah, but I think we should also let the uh, listeners in on a little secret here, which is I think uh-huh. this is really the first time we've collaborated on a show. Yeah. Typically, <laughs> either you or I bring a topic, and that is the first time we've heard about it. It's just like, here we go. Yeah. This one, uh, we tried to collaborate on it, and I think, I don't know. How are you feeling so far? Let's never do it again. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a really good partner, right? Is that what you're saying? Right. No, I, it, it's just more work when you when you uh, are working with someone uh, as opposed to me just you know compiling my notes, having scribbles right. and arrows and uh, right. some sticky notes. And this time it's like, okay, I think we should do this and let's not forget to talk about that. And you know, there's also this point and you're like, oh, but also this. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, good, exactly. Good point. So it's been more work. But it's important because this is like foundational. This is what we've been talking about before. And I, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I'm reading through these articles and I'm, you know, kind of synthesizing this, internalizing this. And I'm like, oh my God, I can think of like 12 more episodes just that are spawned from this. I think any one of these articles that we're going to cover could constitute, yeah, five to 10 uh, Mm -hmm. episodes minimally, right? Right. But yeah, I mean, even just some of the stuff it brings up and some of the characters and some of the people, the players, it's it's really fascinating stuff. I mean, this is, I, I think, to quote a Pentagon briefing, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, what we thought was science fiction is now science fact. <laughs> awesome. All we right. have hoverboards. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my flying cars? Okay. December 16th, 2017 a day that will live in infamy. The New York Times releases a front page above the fold article called Glowing Auras and Black Money, colon, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. They 
also released another article on the same day in the same issue that says um, it's titled Two Navy Airmen and an Object that Accelerated Like Nothing I've Ever Seen. So that's uh, primarily what spawned all the other articles that we will be talking about. But we are talking about the New York Times. This is not UFO.org. This is not uh, some uh, YouTube commenter with an interesting hot take. This is the old gray lady. Exactly. And it's also interesting to look at who had their bylines on this. Like who, who were the authors of this article? So three people, Ralph Blumenthal, Helen Cooper, and Leslie Keen. Now, Ralph Blumenthal was an investigative reporter for 45 years at the New York Times. Helen Cooper is the Pentagon correspondent at the New York Times and has been for about 15 years. And the third one, the odd one in this trio, I would say maybe is Leslie Keen, who has been a UFO author for uh, just about 20 years now. And she recently wrote a book. Um, what's it called? It's called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials. Yeah, and that's uh, more recent, I think, within the last uh, three or maybe four years or something like that. Did you ever end up reading that? Or? Uh, I started it, and um, what happened was I was very interested in finishing it, but I also at the time had a, like a newborn. Oh, yeah, so. that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I didn't get very far. Yeah, no, but um, fascinating thing about that book is she interviewed pilots, generals, like high-ranking people, and talked about basic... Well, I shouldn't say. I never read it. I mean, you should... She was covering UFO phenomena, which was which has occurred pretty much around the world, and covering the documentation from governments or by governments associated with those sightings. So what she was doing was like... She was giving a survey, kind of an overview of the various government reports globally around UFO sightings. So, for instance, uh, the sightings in Iran, the sightings in uh, Belgium, um, here in the U.S., and just kind of giving a cursory overview of, like, all these different um, UFO sightings. Exactly. And she was doing this in a very academic, very scholarly way, looking at facts and figures and real documents, government documents, and trying to get to the bottom of it. And I imagine not always uh, coming to any sort of conclusion, but just being like, hey, there's weird stuff out there and we don't always have an explanation. Exactly. Not only that, but also it's like, hey, look, these are actual, readily available government documents yes. detailing UFO sightings. Yeah. That's weird. That's it's really weird. But, and nobody's talking about but, it. But but here it is and let's talk about it. Exactly. So you got this guy that's uh, been investigating things at the Times for 45 years, someone who works with the Pentagon or is correspondence with the Pentagon for 15 years, a UFO author, and they byline this above the fold front page New York Times article. But how did it actually come to be? Turns out, so this article came out in December, and in October of that year, Leslie Keene, the author, got a tip to meet this uh, guy uh, who said he had some information. She's like, oh, okay, sure, I'll go along with it. She goes and meets with a guy by the name of Luis Elizondo, who was the director of a Pentagon program called Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, AATIP for short. So he's he was a director of this program. He said, I have all sorts of information I want to give to you for reasons that we'll go into later. 
and she starts asking him questions. And like a good journalist, she starts digging in and doing research. Come to find out, basically everyone she talked to was okay with going on the record. So the three of them get together and they start writing up this story. And one of them goes to the editor of the New York Times and they says, we have this wild UFO story. And the editor of the New York Times is like, well, I mean, the only way we're going to print this is if everyone's on the record, no anonymous sources, and you got to fact check everything and double check all your sources. And they did, and it was printed. So we have a former director of this Pentagon program. We have Harry Reid on the record, the former Senate Majority Leader. We have uh, Robert Bigelow on the record, and we'll get into who that is. All on the record, all talking about this program and what it was looking for and what they found. So that's the setup. Hopefully I didn't bore you too much. Let's actually jump into what it says because this is some really, really crazy stuff. So let's talk in more specifics then about the actual program. So for a little bit of context here, uh, the annual Defense Department budget um, was around $600 billion, of which $22 million was actually spent on the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. So $22 million budgeted out for this specifically. Right. And this is like a black box budget item. So like no one really knows about it. Harry Reid knows about it. A few other senators, uh, one Ted Stevens, a former senator from Alaska, who was actually um, a pilot in World War II and had his own UFO encounter while he was flying in World War II. He's like, yeah, this is really important. We should actually look into like what these things are uh, for national security reasons, scientific reasons. Like, is this uh, a foreign government like we don't know we need to start setting aside resources to look into what's what's happening what our pilots are actually seeing so this program initially you know and to this day parts of it do remain classified but it began in 2007 and it ran through 2012 well okay so that that's our kind of our, our first interesting thing so they were able to say in the article that it went from 07 to 2012 but every single person believes that it's still ongoing. They were not able to get any official documentation that it is still ongoing, but Luis Elizondo believes it's still going. Robert Bigelow believes it's still ongoing. So, you know, we're, we're not sure, but probably likely still happening in a different name under different circumstances and that sort of thing. Now, most of that money uh, supposedly went to a man by the name of Robert Bigelow, mm. who was working to understand... What exactly was going on with some of the sightings, some of the alloys, and some of the uh, high-velocity objects that have been sighted by military uh, personnel? Yeah. Let me, let me stop you there. So when Zach says alloys, we're talking about allegedly, apparently, recovered metal from these unidentified flying objects and what they are and what they may be doing to people who come in contact with them. And Robert Bigelow is a very, very fascinating person. He's, if you're at all into the paranormal or the UFO kind of scene or even aliens and things like that, his name comes up a lot. He's a billionaire. He made his money through um, uh, real estate, essentially, but he owns uh, the Budget in 
hotels or motels. Um, so, you know, shout out to our sponsor, Budget Inn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but hey, if you're passing through a town and there's a Budget Inn, I say stay there because you are like kind of also funding some awesome research, maybe. Um, but yeah, he w- he was awarded most of the contract money, which is maybe shady, maybe not. Um, the other thing about him, and I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but if you've ever heard of the Skinwalker Ranch, he uh, owns or owned that ranch. And I promise you, listener, that we will do at least one episode on the Skinwalker Ranch because that is among the weirdest thing out there. Uh, but that that comes into play here too. So I'm sorry, Zach. Keep going. No, and I think this is a perfect point for us to just pause for a second kind of and just wrap up really the kind of the overview of what a yeah. tip was, yeah. which is the, uh, of course, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. It was a real funded program that Harry Reid uh, helped to fund and Robert Bigelow helped to actually conduct some of the research on to understand and dig into some of these aerial threats uh, that have been you know, reported by pilots and also some of these uh, pieces of evidence that have been recovered trying to understand what they were. Right. And I should also say that I think it was a little bit before this article broke. Uh, Robert Bigelow was, or maybe it was after, it doesn't matter. He was on um, 60 Minutes. They were doing an interview with him and he was asked about if he believed in UFOs or aliens or something like that. And he said he is absolutely 100% convinced that aliens exist and UFOs have visited Earth. So here's someone that has collected millions and millions of dollars uh, from the federal government to study these things. And he is saying on the record, in the public, out in the open, I, I, I believe it 100% beyond a shred of doubt that aliens exist and UFOs have visited Earth, which I think is just baffling. Like we could stop there and talk about that for an hour. I think that's fascinating. Um, but But there's a lot more. <laughs> let's keep rolling okay if you have time find this article read it for yourself find all the articles you can and read them uh december 16th 2017 glowing auras and black money etc etc new york times in summary if i could boil this all down to three points three big high level takeaways that this article says it is one many high-ranking people in the federal government believe that aliens have visited Earth. We're talking senators and politicians. We are talking government contractors. We are talking military generals and high-ranking brass. Let that sink in. These people believe that UFOs exist and aliens have visited Earth. Two, we have uh, pilots recorded videos of UFOs And these videos and the pilot's description of the events that they have seen basically show that these crafts completely outstrip all known human craft that we have. They're doing things just otherworldly beyond next generation technology. We'll go into some of those details as well because it lays some of that out. So that's point number two. Point number three, which is interesting, I think, is that there are buildings in Las Vegas that have been retrofitted where the government has stockpiled alloys that they have collected from these UFOs, and these alloys are of unknown metals, 
and they are studying the effects, or I should say the physiological effects of people who come into contact with these alloys. Points one, two, and three. It is mind-blowing. Like this is out in the open. This is public domain. This is public knowledge now. The government is basically saying, yeah, aliens exist. We're looking into it. We don't really know that much more. At least that's what they're on the record saying. No, I think, Tim, you bring up a really great point, which is the U.S. government has had for decades a pretty complicated relationship, I think, with UFOs. Going back all the way to World War II, when this uh, aerial phenomena was noted as, uh, what, Foo Fighters? Mm -hmm. Basically, not just the sweet band, but also, (laughs) guess what? These were aerial craft or something that pilots during World War II saw in both the European and Pacific theaters. And in short, what they were was either balls of light or aircraft that the pilots witnessed that they really couldn't explain. Maybe the best way to describe these Foo Fighters is uh, through a few quotes. So there was a a pilot by the name of Edward Schluter. Um, He was flying back in 1944, and he described seeing 8 to 10 bright orange lights off the left wing flying through the air at a high speed. Neither the airborne radar nor ground control registered anything nearby. However, they could see it. And this was witnessed not only by the pilot, but also by the radar observer um, the person actually in the airplane, as well as uh, a co-pilot. So this wasn't just one person potentially hallucinating. This was witnessed by several people. And what was really interesting about these Foo Fighters is that they would appear and sometimes disappear, and they always kept up with, and sometimes even went faster than, than the airplanes that were flying uh, during the war. And they didn't look familiar or didn't look like anything. And so uh, a couple of theories floated to the surface, one being potentially foreign intelligence, maybe some sort of test weaponry that uh, maybe the Nazis had developed or somebody else. Um, Of course, UFOs came up, uh, pilot hallucination, a couple of explanations, but nothing really led to a definitive conclusion as to what they were. And so since 1947, uh, Foo Fighters have been known as a real thing or some sort of strange thing that's been happening. To take it one step further, the U.S. government actually spent money between 1947 and 1969 looking into some of these aerial phenomena. Exactly. And what's what's wild about the Foo Fighter thing is that it was seen by both sides, both um, Allied forces and Axis forces. And interestingly enough, each side thought it was the other side. Uh, with their advanced weaponry or uh, aircraft or whatever it was. And then after the war, everyone is, I assume, just kind of sitting around having a beer or something like that. And they're like, oh, that's some wild stuff you had. And it's like, oh, we thought that was you. So uh, witnessed multiple, multiple locations by multiple, multiple people, um, unknown. So then, yeah, that leads us to the study that the U.S. did from 47 to 69. That was called Project Blue Book. And I think we'll do an episode on that, too. I'm just going to circle everything here to make sure I keep track of all the episodes we have to do. Um, But in that study from 47 to 69, they investigated over 12,000 different um, sightings and events and just uh, accounts. And through the scientific method and just, you know, questioning and looking at weather phenomenon and astrological phenomenon and things like that, they were able to eliminate most of them. However, there were still 701 unexplained Events. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that there were 701 alien spacecraft. That's not what they were saying. There's just unexplained. 
after 1969, the government said UFOs are no longer worth our uh, resources. They're no longer worth our time. This is not important. We are shelving it away. We're never going to talk about it again. Not important. So that was the government's stance from 1969 until December 16th, 2017, when this article hit the front page. So that was Project Blue Book. Um, But in these two articles and a few subsequent ones that have come out since, they are actually documenting some of the movements and some of the things that these pilots are actually seeing. And it is astounding, to say the least, just otherworldly. And I, you know, there's really no other way to describe it. They're doing just absolutely things that should defy the laws of gravity and physics and everything we understand. What the pilots are saying here in the May 26th article uh, this year, 2019, in the New York Times is that the videos are showing objects accelerating to hypersonic speed, making sudden stops and instantaneous turns, something that is beyond the physical limits of the human race, essentially. And what's really interesting is this uh, Lieutenant Graves, uh, one of the gentlemen on the record here, said that uh, speed doesn't kill you. Yeah. Stopping does or acceleration. And so what they're witnessing is essentially craft that's moving in such a way that would likely kill a human if they were inside of it, or at least within the, the laws of physics as we understand them. Yeah. So basically these craft, they're seeing them hover in space, just, you know, just not moving like like a helicopter. And what's fascinating about this is actually to digress for a moment, we have technology that can hover in place, right? You got a helicopter. We have craft that can go really, really fast. I looked this up. Um, I don't know how accurate this is, but apparently we have made craft that can go Mach like seven or eight or maybe even 10. Um, So we have things that can do really, really fast. And we have things that can hover in place. But what this is doing is going from being stationary, like 80,000 feet above the ocean, and then shooting off 40 miles in one direction, then stopping, and then dropping down and stopping again, and then shooting off in another direction. So basically moving in right angles, stopping and starting, which would, you know, just through the the sheer G-forces alone, kill someone inside at least how we understand craft to be and how we build craft but it 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 just doesn't make sense and what lieutenant graves did to expand upon what what tim just explained is that you know we we have the aircraft now that can do many of these things individually but he said and i quote combine all that into one vehicle of some type with no jet engine no exhaust plume and quote that just is mind-boggling so they're not even seeing any sort of, and I'll kind of laugh about this, chemtrails or anything that would mm-hmm. suggest or at least give a hint of what is causing the propulsion in some of these vehicles. So that is all incredibly fascinating, unbelievable, but here it is on the record. And I would even go a step further. They are seeing these things hover. I think, uh, I forget which article it was. I think it was one May of this year in the Times. Um, they they see these craft hover in the uh, like the East Coast, of the United States, for days, days upon days, just like not moving, they're just kind of sitting there. You know, maybe they drop down a couple thousand feet, maybe they go up a couple, you know, thousand feet, but they, there's no refueling. There's no, um, 
you know, like rendezvous to get more fuel, I guess. Like what is powering them? What's keeping them afloat? And and how are they moving so fast in such erratic directions? None of it makes any sense. So not in the um, not in the Times article itself, but this was actually an article about the article because there was a, a lot of ink spilled on these because they were just incredible. Okay, yeah, this one is from Vanity Fair, uh, December of 2017. Um, Leslie Keen was quoted uh, in this, and she said. I don't think this is a matter of belief. We still don't know a lot about these unknown vehicles, but we do know they exist and they are physical. And I think that's really important. It's a very important point she brings up here. They exist. Okay, yeah, you know, so does maybe ball lightning. So does like weird clouds. Those exist, but these are physical. Like these are not... um, hallucinations are not apparitions some people are speculating or were speculating that these are like radar glitches or you know things in the pilot's helmets and their cameras and things like that that are just picking up these weird things that aren't actually there and that's the best explanation she is saying that based on the information we have and the sources and the quotes and the documents she reviewed and they all reviewed they are physical so you take all this together it's wild. It's absolutely wild. So, okay, this might be a good place to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, Skinwalker Ranch. I want to talk about some of these alloys that they found, uh, which is mind-boggling. And then some of the other uses, some of the articles that have been funded from this uh, $22 million that was allocated for this program. How's that sound? Perfect. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Tim and I are just taking you folks through. Yeah, it's the first time I ever said that. Uh, just taking you through um, some of the interesting aerial phenomena that's been recorded and, more importantly, reported on by the New York Times through a series of articles over the last couple of years, detailing out uh, how much money has been spent on some of these, we'll call them not-so-secret uh, research programs by the United States government as well as some of the folks involved and uh, some of the findings. And we want to dig a little bit deeper into, well, I guess, some of the findings. So where does this take us, Tim? You know, um, a lot of places, actually. I want to I just real quickly talk about the fact that we're giving a lot of credit, a lot of credence to the New York Times. I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's a good point, Tim, because it's like, I think it's worth mentioning that regardless of your political stance, these aren't political topics. This is just, this is a UFO uh, aerial phenomena thing, which is just really odd. And so you may not like the New York Times, or maybe you like it. I, I think what's important here is to understand that they do follow a certain uh, structure of journalistic integrity. And I think within the the research that they did for this article, I mean, it's not political at all. And so I think regardless of which side of the aisle you're on or whatever you believe in, it doesn't really matter. This stuff is just crazy. And, and you can, I think, at least be a little bit sure that they looked very, very carefully into right. um, all of these uh, all these reports. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the journalistic integrity, I mean, it's a paper of record. You know, it's I I would put it up there with uh, uh, any any credible source I could think of. You know, if it if it gets printed, you know that a group of editors there uh, looked at it, etc. You know, and if you have a problem with what they've done recently, there there's no anonymous sources in this. Everyone is on the record. So, you know, I, I don't want to go too too far off on this tangent, but I just think it's worth mentioning briefly here. So, um, you asked, where do we go from here? 
Um, the third point that the article brings up uh, that they mention are these buildings in Las Vegas that have been retrofitted to house stockpiles of alloys from UFOs. Well, okay, let's let's actually stop there because they never technically say they are from UFOs. True. Um, it is strongly alluded to that they are from UFOs, and that is probably just Zach and I really, really parsing these articles out uh, as if we were writing a, a stupid law brief or something like that or, or researching a, um, a case. Um, but it is strongly alluded to that they are UFOs. Let's just go with that. Um, now, what is fascinating about that? Well, I would say everything is fascinating about that, <laughs> actually. But what's wild is they're saying these are alloys that they don't understand where they came from. Um, so I found a Scientific American article. Now, the Scientific American, if you are unfamiliar with it, is a, uh, I, I would call it pop science, but it's not like they're doing, you know, like the top 10 ways to, you know, get rid of a gut or something like that. It's pop science in the way that like science is written for the casual fan of science to be able to understand things. You don't have to have a, a PhD in, uh, you know, chemistry to be able to dig through these articles, but it is credible and it has been around since 1845 in one form or another. And they put out good, good articles. So they kind of broke this down and they said points one and two, whatever, maybe you can explain them, maybe you can't. That's not what we're interested in. They said point number three, these alloys doesn't make sense. And they're just calling BS on the whole thing. So what they say, I'm actually going to read this. Well, I'm, first, let me read the quote from the Times. One of the authors, Ralph Blumenthal, and this is not from the article. This is actually from an appearance he made on MSNBC talking about the alloys. He said, they have, as we reported in the paper, some materials from these objects that is being studied so that scientists can find what accounts for their amazing properties. This technology of these objects, whatever they are. Then he's asked what the materials were, and he responds, they don't know. They're studying it, but it's some kind of compound that they don't recognize. So right away, the Scientific American, they jump in, they say, we don't buy it. And they give some quotes uh, by these chemists and metallurgists that say, that is impossible. Why? Because we have a periodic table of elements. We know what every single metal looks like and feels like, and we can look at it under an electron microscope, point one. Point two, when you have an alloy, you know, two different things together, like uh, brass or, or something else, we know what that looks like. And even if we haven't made it, we could figure out what it was by looking at these things. So it's just completely uh, impossible. To hit that point home just a little bit further, to quote Richard uh, Sacklebin, he's a retired chemist and member of the American Chemical Society. He said, uh, I don't think it's plausible that there's any alloys that we can't identify. And so, you know, he's a chemist on the record saying, you know, yeah, it's fine. It's cute that you guys have collected these alloys. However, the fact that you're saying we don't know what they are isn't necessarily true or couldn't really be true because we know basically everything that exists out there. And there's databases <laughs> of all these known metals. Right. 
And I mean, he even goes on to say, like, look, you can ask any chemist or even any grad student in chemistry to identify it. And given the right equipment, they'd be able to figure this out in like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, essentially. So what this says to me is one of two things, Zach, either the government is lying to the New York Times and the sources, and they do know what it is. That's one possibility, right? Totally. Possibility two, maybe, (laughs) maybe it's something so otherworldly that we really, really don't know what it is. And that, based on this, seems less likely. But again, we're talking about hypersonic craft that's moving without any sort of uh, energy source or jet propulsion or wings or anything else. So like, in a way, it's almost as if logic is out the door at this point. You know what I mean? Oh, well said. Exactly. So we may think we don't know everything that's out there in terms of alloys and metals. However, that being said, we've also seen things now or or there have been witnesses that have seen things that we couldn't possibly explain to begin with. So you kind of have to throw everything out that you know about physics and science. Yeah, and I mean, to, to, to quote Sacklebin again, he says at the end of this article, there's not as many mysteries in science as people like to think. It's not like we know everything. We don't know everything, but most things we know enough about to know what we don't know. And I think chemistry being a hard science and you're just adding electrons onto a, you know, a nucleus, uh, you, you would know, <laughs> you, you would have to know, right? Exactly. But so there's this other really great quote, and I think this is in one of the original New York Times articles. There's this guy who basically says, you know, he's talking about these alloys and how we don't understand them. And he's like, we're sort of in the position of what would happen if you gave Leonardo da Vinci a garage door opener. And, you know, he goes on to kind of explain this. And he's like, you know, first, he'd try to figure out what this plastic stuff is. It's like Da Vinci, really smart guy, incredibly smart, you know, one of the most brilliant people that have ever lived and uh, great mind, great thinker. But he'd be like, what, like, I've never seen this. What, what the heck is plastic? I thought I understood, you know, earth and wood and rock and everything else and wind and water. This is none of those things. What is this? He wouldn't even be able to get on, you know, beyond that to understand like the electromagnetic signals and, you know, what it was involved for and what its function was even after that. So what he's using as, you know, for a metaphor is like you know, a garage door opener. Simple to us, absolutely mind-blowing to someone hundreds of years ago. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you, but, you know, setting aside the, you know, unidentified craft are coming to Earth and doing absolutely insane aerobatics, do you believe this alloy thing? Well, the thing that I find really odd is that, and I didn't find as much as I wanted to find about it, but like these these cases or these examples of where where people had said like they don't feel well after coming into contact with them. You know, I and I sh- I'm, I'm going to cut you off there. They, super technically speaking, no one said they felt bad after coming into contact mm. with these alloys. What they are saying is that they are studying the physiological effects on humans that come into contact with the alloys, which again alludes that, you know, there's negative adverse effects. Exactly. Or maybe everyone feels really great. <laughs> Didn't think of it that way, yeah. For <laughs> sure. Like, hey, get me get me around those alloys again. Yep. Or maybe, how about this? Um 
the alloy we we can identify the alloys, but they're behaving in ways that we don't understand. Sure, fair enough. Fair enough. That that could be, or another possibility is that based on what the metals are, we know where those metals are found on on Earth, and if we assume that these are not extraterrestrial craft, we could pinpoint which foreign governments and militaries are building these and we don't want to let on that we know that totally right yep 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 so i don't know i mean i tend to believe people with degrees more than my own speculation so in a way i have to believe these guys when they say look we we know what the metals are we know what alloys are um so i think one of these other scenarios after the fact like maybe we identify and know the alloy, but it's behaving in ways we don't understand, is possibly one of the more likely outcomes of this. Maybe the authors of these articles were just given false information, or they're drawing their own conclusions, or something like that. Because the other possibility is we don't understand chemistry, and that's... (laughs) I don't understand chemistry, and I'm okay with that. But if a chemist doesn't understand chemistry, that's kind of frightening to me. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay, so we've covered now how some of the money was used, right? That $22 million kind of going back to the AA tip program. And, uh, but I think let's talk about something that's a little bit peculiar, perhaps odd, about maybe how some of this money was used. And I think it's important to mention that uh, getting back to this uh, Bigelow gentleman that we mentioned previously, who was doing some of the research, actually conducted some of the experiments and some of the research at the Skinwalker Ranch. Now, a reminder, that's a 480-acre property And this has been the site of reported cattle mutilations, UFO sightings, cryptids, and it is just a very odd paranormal (laughs) hotbed. And this is, okay, you know, if you want to tune this part of the podcast out and just be like, you know, Tim and Zach are now speculating about poltergeists and uh, weird phenomenon, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But the Skinwalker Ranch, as it's you know kind of commonly referred to as, it was privately owned for a while. Um, the family that lived there before Bigelow bought it, they just they left. They couldn't take the phenomenon anymore, and they're on the record as saying it's just weird. They got out. He bought it, and this is in Utah, by the way. Um, so he owned it. I don't think he still owns it. That's not the point. The point is that some of this twenty-two million dollars for this AATIP program went to studying these other things, these other phenomenon on Skinwalker Ranch. And like I said, we will we will devote minimally one episode into diving into this weird stuff because it is beyond bizarre. But we're talking um, things they they were researching, poltergeists, invisible entities, bizarre creatures. What I mean by bizarre creatures, I'm talking like eight foot wolves with glowing eyes. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to laugh when I say this. I mean, Zach, you're just shaking your head because, like, this is these these are phenomenon that have apparently been seen on this property in this general area for hundreds of years. This is um, used to be Native American land, and the Native American tribe that lives out there they they just say it's a cursed area, and they do not go back to this general, you know, 480 acres of, of uh, area in Utah. But they they have stories and legends of this going back thousands of years. So we're also talking about 
glowing orbs of light. We're talking about just the weird, weird stuff that goes bump in the night. And they're investigating it with this money that's also investigating these UFO phenomenon that Navy and Air Force pilots are seeing. One of the other things they're looking into and researching, or I should say were looking into and researching out there, they were trying to explain instances when multiple eyewitnesses would see the same event, but report wildly different events happening. They don't go beyond that in explaining what that means, except I think it just means what it what it means. But we don't we don't have the specific events they're actually referring to. So, you know, five people all see, I don't know, let's just say an eight foot glowing wolf dog thing. And one person says it looked like a cat and one person said it looked like a glowing orb and you know three people said it was a wolf. It's like how do you, how do you explain that when everyone sees the same event at the same exact time from the same or multiple angles? They were looking into it. Also, and this is really fascinating. And and also if you want to read up on this, um this is coming from a Newsweek article May 29th, 2018. They were looking into whether or not the UFO phenomenon was or UFO events were capable of manipulating and distorting human perception, which I think also kind of relates to the previous point, like wildly different events being reported. But it's like, can UFOs or UFO events phenomenon make people see and remember and report different things i don't know but this is all going on on skinwalker ranch owned by robert bigelow robert bigelow friends of harry reed and um got most of this 22 million dollars that we know about i don't know man that's some weird stuff do you do you want to <laughs> you're just you're just kind of over there shaking your head i mean <laughs> you, you read the same articles i did so what do you want to you want to add on to that? The thing that bothers me is that, like, what I want to dig into and, like, find out is actual answers to this stuff. No, we're not going to. And we're not going to. And that drives me nuts. Yeah. Like, the whole Skinwalker Ranch thing, like, that in and of itself is just absolutely insane. If you're to believe any of the things that have been reported about it, it's like, wait, that exists? Yeah. And, I mean, we're not even talking, like, cattle mutilations or even, like, you know, humans being harmed and stuff like this. But the fact that... Okay, you know, we can sit here and talk about, you know, Native American legends. We can talk about a family that heard things go bump in the night and moved out because it got scared. Like, okay, fine. That's that's the start of any good horror movie or ghost story or whatever you want. But millions of dollars being put into that and researching it. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Maybe they were just researching and they found nothing. We really don't know, but it's really, really weird. I want to call it the fact, too, that like, the work that was done there as part of the AA tip program um, is pretty heavily scrutinized. And uh, there's a lot of skepticism in terms of what was done at the ranch. A man by the name of James Randi awarded uh, Bigelow a Pegasus Award for funding the purchase of the ranch by Harvard professor John Mack and uh, for what Randi called a useless study of supernatural, paranormal, or the occult. And so even though that predates some of the uh, AA tip program, uh, or this quote does, um, people are very, very heavily skeptical about, you know, what's taking place on the ranch, as well as, you know, trying to potentially use some government money to pay for some of these types of studies. So I just want to call out the fact that, like, 
I think it's right to be skeptical for uh, for this specific reason. Uh, that being said, <laughs> what they find? <laughs> right, right. Did they find nothing? Was he simply embezzling money? I, you know, it's it's a possibility. I, I hopefully doubt it because on on the flip side of things, you know this unexplained aerial phenomenon you know you have navy pilots you have generals you have members of the uh, of congress and the military all on the record being like yeah this stuff is real we don't know what it is and we're looking into it um and then you know the same pot of money is funding this other like poltergeist weird sort of thing i don't know it's bizarre maybe we can just leave it at that and move on but it's out there it's weird it's part of this funding but Another part of the funding, which I find incredibly fascinating, and this came out uh, only at the beginning of this year, January 17th, 2019, there was a FOIA request that was granted to look into what else was funded with this $22 million, and the DIA, that's a Defense Intelligence Agency, released a list of 38 research titles funded by this program. And this is weird and fascinating and bizarre. I'm not going to read all 38. You can find it out there if you want. I'm going to I'm going to read some of my favorites. Zach, are you ready? Let's hear it. Invisibility cloaking. Traversable wormholes, stargates and negative energy. Um biomaterials. I love that one. Um metamaterials for aerospace application. Warp drive, dark energy, and the manipulation of extra dimensions. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to say also that if you look at the list of people who wrote these articles, these are actual oh, yeah. doctors. Oh, yeah. This Dr. Is- G. Shevitz of the University of Texas, Austin. Dr. R. Abbasi of uh, some consulting group. Uh, Dr. Claudio Maconi or Maconi, International Academy of Astronautics. So, you know, again, not to say that just because they have a PhD means they're automatically right or makes this somehow justifiable. But I think the point is, these are people that have some sort of framework that they're using to look into some of this stuff. And right. this stuff is just absolutely crazy. Right. And I mean, I don't I don't know any more than you do, but I have to assume that like these people, they're digging into these phenomenon and looking at these videos and, and studying these metals. They're like, oh, geez, we, we, we should probably research X. And then they're like, yeah, OK, let's fund it. Let's look into it. Let's see what's real. Let's see what we can do. Uh, OK, here's another one. Technological approaches to controlling external devices in the absence of limb-operated interfaces. That's just kind of cool. I think that's maybe like drone piloting, perhaps. Um, Metallic glasses. And that's not like glasses on your head. That would be like, I assume, glass. Like see-through glass? Yeah. See-through metal? Or, yeah. Maybe that's what that that was funded uh, at John Hopkins. Uh, Okay. Okay. Cockpits in the era of breakthrough flight. Cognitive limits on simultaneous control of multiple unmanned spacecraft. And lastly, detection and high-resolution tracking of vehicles at hypersonic velocities. Just to name a few. Just to name a few. And I mean, they're they're wild. They're fascinating. It's like why, I mean, not why. I know why we're researching this stuff, but like, holy smokes, like what are we finding? Why, so we, why, why, why those specifically, you know, like what, what caused, what was the impetus for each one of those? Can I take a skeptical angle to this, Tim? Certainly everybody has this image of the wacky, zany professor out there that, you know, is looking into his or her favorite thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Do you think that perhaps maybe some of these are those zany types of topics that who knows that crazy tenured professors looking into like now they finally got some money to actually spend time with it. I mean, couldn't you say that maybe this is just kind of like an excuse to like look into some cool stuff? Yeah. And if that's the case, that's awesome. And I love the pursuit of science for the pursuit of science knowledge for the sake of knowledge. That's great. Um, these, these are all very seemingly specific <laughs> seemingly narrow focused. Right, right, right. So, you know, anyways, I bring that up because it's like, well, yeah, in fact, I mean, just because they were researched doesn't mean that they're, you know, necessarily like real. But, no, uh, no, no, no. I I don't think that, you know, just because we're researching, you know, metallic glass uh, means that we have metallic glass, but it's like, hey, maybe someone was like, shoot, maybe this thing we're trying to figure out is some sort of metallic glass. Let's look into it more. I, I, your guess is as good as mine. But what's wild is this is all in the public domain. All right. So um, we are talking at you. This is uh, mid to late June here, 2019. Uh, There was an article in April just a couple months back uh, that kind of got us moving on this again. Um, Basically, the Navy now has new guidelines for reporting unexplained sightings. So previously, if you go up and you fly around and you see something that doesn't make sense, you basically kept your mouth shut because you wanted to probably keep flying and you didn't want to look like a crazy person. Um, Now the brass is taking this very, very seriously. And they're like, if you see something, say something. And we need to know what's up there. Maybe it's not little green men. Maybe it's not extraterrestrial, but maybe it's some foreign government. We don't know, but we need to look into it. We need to start tracking this stuff. So I think that's just, it makes sense. I think, uh, to start that new practice. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny too, because it's like, you think of, you you look, you look at some of these accounts or you read these accounts and the pilots almost sound like they're begrudgingly explaining what they witnessed and or saw. And so it's clear, like it, or at least it feels clear that they're not trying to get attention. And in fact, your point earlier, in some ways they don't even want any attention because it may compromise their ability to do their job. That being said, you know, it is the government's job and indeed the military's job to defend us and protect us. And so therefore, they actually have to have guidelines in place because if these are malevolent beings, then the government needs to do something about them, right? Or at the very least, understand what's going on. I find it endlessly fascinating that there's protocol in place to report this stuff because it is actually real. Right. Or at least there is protocol in place now. Um And then I guess the last thing we should probably bring up is uh, today there was an article that came out. So this is June 20th, 2019, um, that said that the Senate Intelligence Committee and Armed Services Committee have now been briefed on some of these unexplained aerial phenomenon that different pilots are seeing. And also the President of the United States has now been briefed on this. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're playing along at home, we now know that... The military at its highest levels, the United States Senate and the president of the United States are all well aware that UFOs, and I mean that in its strictest definition, and unidentified flying objects, uh, they, they exist. They're out there. We're looking into them. We're taking them seriously. And maybe we know and maybe we don't know. But they're all on the record now. And now you know, too. So... There you have it. We didn't really cover believability here because I think, Tim, we're both on the same page. Like, (laughs) we believe this is a real thing, not saying that these are alien in nature or alien craft, but we're saying, like, clearly there are unidentified flying objects out there 
The government's looking into what they are. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen any real definitive proof or explanation as to uh, to what they are specifically. Now, perhaps perhaps it's too soon. Uh, maybe it's going to be a few more years or you know whatever. Right. After having gone through everything that we went through and all the research that you did, Tim, like where's your head at right now? Yeah, and you know it's it's bizarre. I mean, this has been in the public domain for you know almost two years, year and a half, and. It's still hard for me to conceptualize and understand that this is real. Like up to this point, before these articles started coming out, I think it was very, very easy for the casual observer or or anyone to just be like, UFOs, ah, who cares? You know, do you believe in UFOs or not? Oh, no, I don't. Okay, fine. You know, and that, that, that was okay. Now, you have to, I guess. And the real question is, what? are these craft that they are seeing and that's the fascinating thing so so that's step one in my in my journey here is just coming to terms with that but step two is trying to figure out like okay are these uh some government are they a united states government project are they uh, a foreign government or military or are they extraterrestrial and I think that's really where the conversation needs to happen going forward. And I'm not 100% convinced that they are extraterrestrial at this point. I think it is probably based on what we understand of science and physics and just the advancement of technology as we you know, lay people and, and civilians understand it probably makes the most sense. Because we're just not there yet. We just don't have the capability to do these crazy wild things with craft. But to then take a step forward and say, well, then they must be extraterrestrial, that that's hard for me to do as a you know, as a skeptical person. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, so I, my problem is I kind of, uh, I'm like a pendulum. I swing back and forth between <laughs> right. like, I'm all in. These are like, we're talking E.T., riding a bike. Moon in the background, right? The basket, yep. like the classic. Yep. It's, it's like that. Or um, it's this other side of me, which is like, yeah, no, they're probably just something we don't fully understand yet. We're not talking aliens. We're talking something else. And I think I think a quote that really summarizes kind of that opposite extreme of the UFO extraterrestrial being is this quote from this uh, Leon Golub. He's a senior astrophysicist at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center. He said that the possibility of an extraterrestrial cause, and I quote, is so unlikely that it competes with many other low probability but more mundane explanations. He said there are so many other possibilities, bugs in the code for the imaging and display systems, atmospheric effects and reflections, neurological overload for multiple inputs during high-speed flight. In short, what he's saying is perhaps an alien explanation is the least likely explanation because there are so many other possibilities as to, as to what they are. And for me, like I said, going back and forth between, yep, all in, it's, we're talking ET, we're talking aliens, between that and then also this very heavily skeptical side, which is like, yeah, no, it's probably something else. Yeah, no, I I, I think you kind of summed it up very well. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about a, a third scenario. Ooh, continue. And this really isn't based on anything more than just kind of thinking about it for long periods of time. So I can't, I can't point at anything to really, um, you know, um, back this up, but maybe... These craft and the things behind these craft are not human, but they are not extraterrestrial. Hmm. 
maybe it's just things that are here on Earth and have always been here on Earth and they've just been outside of our perception or outside of our our understanding maybe they live at the bottom of the ocean maybe they live you know high up in in the atmosphere and we they've just always been around and we don't see them tim are you suggesting bigfoot <laughs> i mean i don't know man we're talking about weird stuff everything's on the table as far as i'm concerned fair enough tim believes bigfoot is flying these things around on the record 100 percent. beautiful All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Um, it's been a wild ride. Um, thank you for coming along with us on this. Uh, you are now up to date on every single UFO event um, that you need to be, at least uh, as of the end of June 2019. So. <laughs> we, we are awarding you a PhD yes. from the Crackpot Enterprise University mm-hmm. in extraterrestrial. Uf- in ufology. <laughs> ufology. <right>. Ufology. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, send us 20 bucks and uh, we'll give you the, the document. That's it. All right, everybody. Um, if you haven't already, um, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friend, tell your neighbor, tell your local Navy pilot about our show. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.